Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke and chapter number 23. We're going to begin in 23 and go right into chapter number 24. Luke 23, and uh, then we'll go right into chapter 24. Uh, this past week, as uh, was mentioned, at least in Sunday school, we observed the Lord's Supper and remembered the fact that Jesus died on the cross, not for sins he committed. In fact, the Bible tells us this, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That's a substitutionary death. That means he died in your place and he died in my place and the sins of all the world were placed upon him. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And in other words, what it's saying is that God loved us first and, and put his, the, our sins upon his son. And he died as a substitute, was buried. We're going to read about it now. And he rose again from the grave. And so we're going to look at that here in Luke chapter number 23. You know, we just had a, a dear man of our church go home to be with the Lord just yesterday morning, Brother Gene Kramer, after a long battle, you know, with, uh, with his health and such. And, and not real lengthy, but, you know, he was just, uh, just going down. But I'm thankful this morning that yesterday his faith in Jesus Christ became sight. He started coming to Southwest Baptist Church 1960. And uh, came to, um, well, he's playing on the softball team, but the requirement was is that you had to come to church at least a couple services. And he came and he heard the gospel. And uh, then he walked the aisle and someone led him to Christ. Herman Allen led him to the Lord and he's been faithful ever since. I'm glad he's in heaven today. Glad he is. I'm glad we know that because Jesus rose again from the dead that we can have life too. And that's what we're reading about. Let's get right to it now in, in uh, Luke 23 and verse number 50. I want to read about the burial. Um, we can't overlook the significance of the burial. Oftentimes we read about the death and we should. We read about the resurrection and we should. But we ought to read about uh, the burial as well. And even the ascension. Uh, that's tonight. We're going to look at that a little bit tonight. The fact that Jesus went back to heaven. That's where he is today. Able to save any who would call on him. It says in verse 50 though of... Luke 23, and behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and uh, a just. The same had not, cons had not consented to the counsel indeed of them. He's talking about the religious leaders of which he was a part, but he didn't consent unto it. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher <clears throat> that was hewn in stone, where, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew on. I want you to notice this in verse 55. It says, And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. There's going to be several times where we can say amen. <laughs> it's so appropriate. In fact, it's hard not to find a place to say amen, right? <clears throat> 
Well, it says in verse 3, They entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? <laughs> I love that one. Why, why seek ye the living among the dead? Then, then they give this explanation in verse number six. He is not here, but is risen. Amen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was in, yet in Galilee saying, and here's his words recorded for us in verse seven. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. That's what Jesus told them would happen. And they remembered his words. Can we read on? Verse 9. And returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. And notice verse 11. And their words seemed to them as idle tales and they believed them not. Then arose Peter. I love Peter, don't you? I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a little bit, you know, uh, rambunctious at times and abrasive at times. And, but I just love the fact that he said, I got to go see this. And he did. He ran and, and unto the sepulcher and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. And behold... Two of them went the same day, that same day, to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about seven, or sorry, three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they uh, communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. All right. But their eyes, verse 16, were holding that they should not know him. They didn't recognize him right then. And he said to them, what manner of, <laughs> this is really something. What manner of communications uh, are these that ye have one to another and walk and you walk and are sad? What, what are you talking about? And, and they, they said in verse number 18, and the one of them whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Are you the only one around here that doesn't know what in the world's going on? <laughs> How could you be here and not hear the talk of the town? And hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto him, What things? <laughs> Jesus said, What are you talking about? <laughs> what things? <laughs> And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today's the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher, and they found not his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. I mean, they're just spilling all of this. 
And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so, as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then said he unto them, O fools and slow of heart. He wasn't being derogatory. He wasn't being condemning to them. He was just saying, listen, you should have, you should have read your Bible. To believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh into the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is, it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, and he took bread and blessed it and break, and gave to them, their eyes were open. And they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, while he opened unto us the scriptures? The greatest teacher teaching the greatest themes from the greatest book about life's greatest blessing. This morning, I, I want to draw your attention to the question, why seek ye the living among the dead? Why seek ye the living among the dead? Tonight, we'll consider a, a, a question that comes out of this same chapter, and it's this, why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Why are you worried? Why are you anxious? Boy, God meets us right where we are, doesn't he? And so I'd like to pray one more time and ask God to help us understand his word, and, and then we'll get into it. Father, I thank you. Um, it's already been a blessing to be here, but it's not about us even just being blessed. It's about the word going forth. And the gospel getting out and helping somebody, first of all, that's lost and needs to be saved and know for sure they're on their way to heaven. I pray you'd give that unction, that clarity. And then, God, I know you've recorded these things for us, even as your disciples modern day, that we too at times are perplexed and at a loss and, and overwhelmed by what's going on in life. And we just need to remember that you are a living Savior. And so I pray you'd help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing a good little bit there. <clears throat> <clears throat> Helen Siner Rice wrote the poem that part of it's in the bulletin even it says this in the glorious Easter story a troubled world, world can find blessed reassurance and enduring peace of mind for though we grow discouraged in this world we're living in there's comfort just in knowing God has triumphed over sin. I thank God for that. Someone has said this, if your greatest need was information, God would have sent an educator. If your greatest need was technology, God would have sent a scientist. If your greatest need was money, God would have sent us an economist. If your greatest need was pleasure, God would have sent you an entertainer. But since your greatest need is forgiveness, God sent the Savior. Uh, Warren Wiersbe organized this chapter in this way. You first of all have perplexed hearts. How are we going to roll the, tomb, the stone away? How are we going to get in? And God opened the tomb. And then you find discouraged hearts and God opened their minds and, or opened their eyes. And then you find troubled hearts and he opened their minds. And then you find joyful hearts because God opened their lips. And they went everywhere telling the good news. 
This past week, I did the funeral for Brother Jeff Dillon. He unexpectedly went home to be with the Lord about a week ago. And, and I stood there, maybe about 70 to 80 people gathered there at that, uh, that graveside service. The wind it was just blowing fiercely and people were gathered in. And it was a joy to stand there and to say, I know where Brother Jeff is today. Even though his body's here, I know that his spirit and soul is in the very presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's because, because of the story that we're reading here today, the account that we're reading was in the home yesterday uh, with Miss Charlene Kramer and her, her uh, family and able to pray with Brother Gene's family and comfort them and say, you know, I'm glad to know where Brother Gene is here today based on the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so here these angels are asking the question, why seek ye the living among the dead? You see, the thing that we need to understand, though, uh, you know, we read the story, we read the account rather, and, and we're so familiar with it that we want to say, hey, listen, he's alive. Why are you so sad? But at that moment in time, they had no idea what had happened. Even though he had foretold them what was going to happen, he told them on numerous occasions that he was going to be betrayed, that the chief rulers were going were to turn him over to the Roman authorities, that he was going to be crucified, and that he would rise again. But I wonder if God has ever told you something and you didn't think about it. Maybe you didn't remember it. Um, and so that's what happened. And so here it is. Uh, Jesus had told them. And in fact, Peter, James and John had even seen Jesus transfigured, meaning, meaning this. They saw him in his glory. They realized he was not just a mere mortal man. They saw him glorified. In fact, they saw him meeting. The book of Luke tells us in chapter nine. Luke tells us that they saw him meeting. Listen to this with Moses and Elijah, Moses and Elijah. And you know what they were talking about? They weren't talking about the weather. Here's what they were talking about. They were talking about his decease that was about to happen. They were talking about the fact that he was going to die on the cross. That's Luke chapter 9 and verse number 33 or so. So the Lord knew what was going to happen and he even told his disciples what was going to happen. But I'm telling you, when they came to the, to the tomb that morning, they did not expect to see a risen Savior. They didn't. Joseph of Arimathea, very kindly, very generously, uh, though a secret disciple of Jesus, now out in the open, coming out of the Sanhedrin. Uh, normally when somebody was crucified like this, they would just throw their body out in the heaps and, and they would not have a proper burial. Joseph said to Pilate, could I have the body? First of all, I, I want to establish this. Jesus indeed did die on the cross. It's very clear that he died. It's very important that we recognize that he indeed was dead. In fact, among the leaders of the day, they didn't even question that. They didn't even question it. The, the Jews, the ones that wanted him dead, they didn't question whether or not he died. The Roman soldiers, they were trained in brutality. They were trained in crucifixion. They didn't question whether he died. They reported to Pilate that Jesus had indeed died. And so Pilate didn't question it. The disciples didn't question it. Joseph certainly and Nicodemus, actually, though Luke didn't mention it, he did, they didn't question whether that body that they were preparing as quickly as they could before the, before the Sabbath day officially drew on and they were trying to get the body into a actually a very expensive tomb, that tomb... Uh, there in the garden was an expensive place to bury someone. They took that shroud, that linen, and they buried Jesus there. Nicodemus spent actually quite a bit of money on the spices that he prepared, the ointments that he prepared. I'm just simply saying to you, friend, listen, they believed he was dead. 
we understand that death has a finality to it. I mean, when you know, when you go to a funeral home, when you go to a, to a funeral, and I've been to many, we've been to several here even this year within our own church family, there's a finality to it. They went to that tomb that morning with that same sense of a finality. See, they didn't, they didn't get to give him a full-fledged, proper burial like they normally would, taking a lot of time to do that. They had to do it expedited as quickly as they could. And so the ladies, what they did is they marked the place where Jesus was buried so that then later on Sunday morning, they could come after the Sabbath day and finish or finalize the burial. But they had no idea how they were going to get the big old stone rolled away. I'm just simply saying they thought he was dead. And they thought they were coming to finalize his burial preparations for its long internment. The disciples, where are they? In some room somewhere hiding. That's what we see at the last part of chapter 24. They were hiding. Where were they on, where were they on the Sabbath day? Probably hiding. Because they thought he was dead. They indeed did. I mean, we read about it there in Luke uh, 24, the men that were on their way to Emmaus, they said this, we thought, that's past tense, we thought that he was going to deliver Israel. We thought he was our Messiah. But now he's dead. They were perplexed. The person they had devoted their life to was now dead. The hopes they had was now dead. They were discouraged. They were disappointed. They were fearful because Jesus was accused of, of an uprising and they were in with him. And so that's one reason they were hiding from the Jewish leaders and others. In fact, here, you know what? I mentioned that Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to die and rise again. The disciples forgot that. The women evidently forgot that. But I'll tell you who didn't forget it. The Jewish leaders. They said this. This imposter, this man has said on the third day he's going to rise again. So Pilate, we need to do something about this. We ask that you might establish a guard to watch over the tomb. So that... His disciples could not come and steal his body away and make it look like he rose again so that the, the last part would be worse than the first. I, I find in here they were a little bit uneasy, don't you? I wonder what it was that made them somewhat uneasy. I wonder, it was, I wonder if it maybe could be this. Could I speculate with you here just a, just a moment? I wonder if it could have been that at the moment that Jesus was being crucified from broad daylight at noon till three in the afternoon, that it was total darkness. I wonder if they could have been a little bit concerned that the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. I wonder if they could have been a little bit concerned that, that there was a major earthquake that shook the earth at the time of his crucifixion. I wonder if they thought, you know, something's going on here. We better do what we can to stop it. <laughs> Pilate said, you have a guard, make it as sure as you can. I love those words in Matthew's gospel. Make it as sure as you can. And they did. They set up a guard there, whether it was a temple guard or the Roman guard, whichever it was. I mean, there may have been 16 soldiers that were there, upwards of that amount, that were guarding the tomb. They would work in shifts because security guards are known for going to sleep at night. If you're a security guard, no offense. It's just, hey, I'd go to I like sleeping at night, don't you? 
There they are. They set up these guards to make sure that nobody would, would steal the body away. And here were these frightened disciples hunkered down somewhere. We're talking about fishermen. We're not talking about men who are used to doing reconnaissance and moving in and stealing and doing something like this. We're talking about men that were half, halfway, didn't know what to do with themselves, let alone pull off an operation of taking a, rolling a big massive stone away without the, the soldiers knowing about it. You know, the more you think about the lie that the Jews paid them to tell, the more you realize that even their lie tells the truth. What do you mean by that? Well, they paid them to say that he, that the disciples came and stole the body while we were asleep. Now you stop and think about that just a minute. How do you know it was his disciples if you were asleep? And when did you know thieves to fold clothes before they left? You ever have somebody break in your house and, and they go through your stuff, but then, you know, make sure they went through all your stuff and then they make sure they fold the clothes back, you know, that they pulled out of the drawers? No, sir. No, they're getting out of there with what they wanted. I mean, it's ludicrous to think that these disciples would have come and they would have left the grave clothes folded neatly there. No, you're just going to get out of there with the body. You're going to take it and, and try to get out of there. I'm telling you, the lie that they told actually tells the truth. You say, preacher, why are you going into this much detail? Because it's all in the Bible. We, listen, we have not believed myth. We've not believed fairy tale. This is not something that, that somebody has made up just so that, you know, we have something to do on a holiday. It's not, it's not just so that, it's not that something that somebody's made up to make their kids act better and have good morals and such. No, it's because we're sinners in need of a Savior. And the only way you could be saved is if somebody who did not have sin was willing to die in your place. And I'm telling you this morning, there is only one individual that was qualified and that was the Lord indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he loved you so much that he went to that old rugged cross and shed his blood, dying in your place that you might be saved today. You see, yes, he died on that cross and he was indeed buried and he was indeed dead there in that tomb. And no, they did not steal his body. In fact, if the Jews wanted to prove this, all a hoax, all they had to do was prove where the body was. But they couldn't show the body. And by the way, while we're at it, I mean, there's actually so much proof here. One of, my, one of my favorite things to do is to study out and to see all the absolute evidence that is built into this story that shows that this is not something that was fabricated, but this is reality. Now, I think that's important for us to know because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith is indeed in vain. We might as well go home and just eat the rest of those chocolate-covered peanut butter eggs and such uh, did I say that right, Brother Ted? You knew what I was talking about. But it's not about the candy. It's not about bunnies. It's not about flowers. Although I love this time of the year and I'm not trying to be down on anybody's Easter celebration. But the fact of the matter is this, is here's the main thing. He was dead because he died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again from the dead. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus said. He appeared to his disciples. He verified that he was alive. You say, well, he appeared to his disciples. Why didn't he appear to some of his enemies? Be because then I might believe. Okay, he appeared to one of his enemies, namely Paul. But you know, here's what happened. Every time he appeared to one of his enemies, they turned into a believer. His own brother James, at one point in time, thought, you're out of your ever-loving mind. He didn't say that. I mean, that's just 
my terminology, you're out of your mind. Who do you think you really are? Who do you, can you imagine? <laughs> Jesus' brother saying, who do you think you are anyways? God? Well, he was. Who do you think you are? I mean, I'm serious. In, in John 7, it says they, he was skeptical. Well, he appeared to James. He appeared, uh, he appeared to Mary. I mean, you, you're, what we're reading when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is we're reading eyewitness accounts. How important are eyewitness accounts? You know, let's say you have an accident or somebody has an accident. And you're there. Or you watch it. This guy ran the red light, right? And you saw it. Uh, I heard about a, uh, a guy in a, you know, in a country, in a, in a, in the, living out in the country that had one red light. I grew, I lived in town for a little while that had, think had three. <laughs> this guy, this town had one red light and they asked this older man, he was sitting there, you know, just whittling a little bit. Said, now you were sitting there, you watch what happened. Whose fault was it? He kept whittling. Finally said, same to me, they hit each other at the same time. <laughs> A lot of help that was, right? Well, that was a good observation. But if you want to prove something, you need eyewitnesses because, watch this, I, I'm just trying to reason with you out of, the, out of the scriptures here. Eyewitness account is better than secondhand information. This is eyewitness account. Okay, you want something that happened close to the time of when it happened. If, it, if it's been years, I mean, you, you know, I can still remember a wreck that, you know, our family had as I was on my way to school. I can remember that, but I, even though it, it happened a long time ago, I can still remember it, but I, I tell you, I could remember it really well after it right happened. I, close to the account. And, and then sometimes if there is embarrassing information that you give that's self-incriminating, that lends itself to being true because we would normally kind of make ourselves look better if we wanted to tell a lie. You say, well, what part of this account are you telling now? Well, they said that women saw him first. In their society, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything more than just what their society would say. It would have been more verifiable if it had been Nicodemus and, and, uh, and Joseph of Arimathea or some men that saw him, but they said the women saw him first where were you, Peter? John? James? Hey, where were you guys? Um, hiding. That's incriminating. That's embarrassing. So the embarrassing side of this begins to actually tell the truth because if they had made it up and they were going to live by it and they all collaborated, then they would have said, he appeared to this man. Do you see what I'm saying? So when you weigh out all the proof, and certainly there's more, but when you come down to the proof of the resurrection, there's only one plausible, sensical conclusion to come to, and that is one of three options. One, Jesus didn't really die. He was just in the tomb waiting until about the third day so he could somehow get out of there. He didn't really die. You get beat with nine, with a cat of nine tails. And spend the night. You, you lose that much blood and, and, and then be crucified and see how you come out. We already established he did die. So the swoon theory that he just passed out on the cross, it doesn't hold water. 
We've already actually covered the second idea is that perhaps his disciples stole him. No, they were too scared to do that. And there's evidence that they did not. The only other option is this, that he did indeed rise from the dead, which would mean then that he is indeed who he said he was. And if he is who he said he was, then you are who he said you are. And that's a sinner in need of a savior. The ladies came and they were not seeking the living among the dead. They were seeking the dead among the dead. And so these angelic beings, by the way, Matthew says that there was such a great earthquake and then these angelic beings appeared as though in lightning with the flash and the, and the guards that were there were shaken with fear and they trembled and they fell down and probably lost their senses for a while and then they left. And then the women came. They came and they found the tomb empty. And then the question came, why seek ye the living among the dead? What, you know what that is? They were getting news right there. It's a, it's a creative way of saying, why are you here? He's alive. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Why seek ye the living among the dead? When, uh, when Angie and I were expecting, I think it was with Tyler, we told it was a creative way to let the news out. There's so many creative stories out here about the way that you maybe announce to your parents or grandparents that you're going to have a child. We said um, to her dad, hey, Brother Decker, uh, Angie's going to have to, she's got to go in the hospital in about nine months from now. <laughs> he said, what's wrong? What's wrong? <laughs> got him. <laughs> what's wrong? It's just a creative way to make the news, to announce. They said, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's alive. Remember what he told you when he was yet in Galilee, how this would happen? And then the Bible says they remember the words, his words. They ran and told the men and they said, you're telling a bunch of foolishness, a bunch of pretense. This is not true. This couldn't be true. Peter ran, John ran, and they came to the tomb and they certainly found it empty. But, but then we don't know exactly when this happens, but evidently Jesus also appears to Peter, according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. What, what I'm trying to say is this. There's so many details here and I'm not trying to weigh you down or overload you with all the details, but I'm trying to show you there's enough evidence right here that if you came to the conclusion, I'm a sinner and he's the Savior and I need him, you're coming to the right conclusion. And he's the only one that can save you because he's the only one qualified to do so. He appeared to the 10. Then he appeared to the 11. Then he appeared to, of course, the women, as we already mentioned, to Mary. And, and he appeared to Peter. And he appeared to James. And he appeared to, to Paul. And he appeared to over 500 people all at one time. That's verifiable evidence. 500 people at one time hallucinating about the same thing. That's rather unlikely. I'll tell you what is likely is the truth. They saw the resurrected Christ. And because they saw the resurrected Christ, the rest of their life was about getting the message out. All you got to do is read, about, read the book of Acts and you'll see they preach Jesus and the resurrection. They preach Jesus and the resurrection. And many of them, in fact, the majority of them died, went to their graves. Not for what they believed, but for what they saw. See, a lot of people have died for what they believe. 
You could die for what you believe and be wrong. But they went to their grave saying they saw him alive. I think at any point, if they had collaborated and said, look, we just made this up, then they would have been able to live. But they went to their grave saying, no, we saw him alive. And they preached unto them salvation. Here's what you need to know today. There's none righteous. No, not one. Somebody might be here today, first time or first time in a long time in church, and you may say, man, I feel uncomfortable today. I'll tell you who you're with, sinners. Does that help you feel a little bit more comfortable? Yeah, I kind of fit in that crowd. We're sinners saved by God's grace. There's none righteous. No, not one. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But it doesn't stop there. It says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, you've got to recognize who he is. He's not just any religious leader. He is indeed the Lord. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. In other words, the only way that you can be right with God is to trust who he is and what he did for you. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Has there been a time when you understood you were a sinner and there was nothing you could do to save yourself, but you heard the good news, the gospel that he died for you, was buried and rose again, and you called upon him for your salvation because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I've done a lot of funerals lately. Unfortunately, those that I've done a funeral for, I knew for sure that they had knew, knew for sure that they were saved. I wonder today, if something were to happen to you, would you please consider this here just a moment? If you died today, do you know for sure your sins are forgiven, that you're on your way to heaven? If you are honest this morning and you say, you know, preacher, I don't know that for sure. Here's the good news. You can know. The Bible says you can. Jesus died so you can know for sure. And we're, we're going to have an invitation, which simply means we're just going to invite you. It's really God's invitation to say, come and, and, and trust Christ as your personal Savior. You need to know that. We're going to invite you to come. There will be men here. There's ladies here that have a Bible. And we have rooms designated where you can sit down and somebody can go through the Scriptures and explain how to be born into God's family, how to be saved. Because it's the living Lord that makes the difference in His Word. Can I say a word to you that are saved? Because here were these disciples and they were discouraged. They were disheartened. They were disappointed. They were confused by what was going on in their life. And they really didn't need to be because he was alive. 
And there may be some of you even today that are, that are saved. You've been born into God's family, but some of the things you're going through are, are just weighing on you. And I'm so grateful that He tenderly, lovingly makes His presence known to us in those moments and reassures us of His Word and that He's with us. And today, even, even for those of you that are believers today, He's alive. And He's with you. And His Word will not fail you. So let's not treat the living Savior like He's dead. Why seek you the living among the dead? Don't treat the living Savior like He's dead. Don't treat Him like He's dead. Don't live like He's dead. He's not dead. He's alive. And you ought to trust Him and live for Him. Let's stand together here today. Father in heaven, I thank you for the testimony, for the eyewitness accounts, for the eternal word that's been preserved for us, and that we do not serve a, a dead Savior, but rather we serve a living Savior. Now, at this moment, Lord, I'd like to pray and ask you to help any here today that do not have that assurance of salvation. That, Lord, in this moment, that they would that they would take the time to consider where they stand with you because someday they'll stand before you. And Lord, we know that based on your word, your death on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross does not automatically save everybody, but it makes it possible for all to be saved, any to be saved. And so I pray that you'd help us now in this time of invitation. Help us, Lord, to extend it compassionately like our Savior would and truthfully as he would as well. <clears throat> we pray for that, dear God, in Jesus' name. Amen.